All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 4 tonight. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We're, we're doing the entire chapter uh, for the uh, book of Revelation tonight. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Um, what we're looking at tonight, this is going to be kind of a different message. And so I don't, I don't know that anybody's going to walk out and say, Pastor, that was just life-changing, you know, uh, this is not a practical thing. It's not, this is what you should do, go do it. Uh, this is a scene that's being set in heaven. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. What this does, as we study chapter 4, this sets us up for what we're going to see in chapter 5. But it is an incredible scene that we're going to look at. And so, if you've got the attention span, we're going to look at this scene tonight from Revelation chapter 4 and just see all the marvelous things uh, people want to know what does heaven look like. All right, well, pay attention tonight. We're gonna we're gonna see a little bit, uh, get a, a just a better glimpse into the throne room of God this evening. And so, uh, let's go ahead. We're in Revelation chapter four, verse one. It says, "After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was uh, as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said." Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat also, uh, he, excuse me, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, and the seven, uh, which are the seven spirits of God. Excuse me. And before the throne was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, he liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let us bow to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for the text. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to spend time in your word. God, I don't know how you might use this message tonight, but Lord, even if it's just to paint a clearer picture of you and, uh, and this scene in our minds that we may be prepared for the rest of Revelation, I pray that you would do that this evening. God, we're thankful so much for every blessing that you shed upon us. You are so good. You're so great, God. We are just so amazed by all that you are and all that you do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to take some time tonight, like I said, to look at the scene that we find here in Revelation chapter 4. I want you to do your best. I know some of us may not have one, but if you have an imagination, 
do your best to use that tonight as we're studying through this. I'm going to try to paint as best a picture as I can of what's being presented here. Now understand this, I still take very seriously the warning at the end of this book that says, don't add anything to or take anything away from the things that are written in this book. So what I'm going to do is I'm just looking directly at what's been written here. We're going to try to paint the best pictures that we can of this. And hopefully in our minds it's going to settle for us and prepare us for the scene that we're going to see next week. Now really, the next two sermons are entitled The Heavenly Scene. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 are both scenes that take place in heaven. And if you remember when we introduced the book of Revelation, we said that uh, we're constantly moving from heaven to earth and, and, and back and forth. So you constantly see uh, John talking about what's going on in earth and then he'll be called up into heaven or the scene will move to heaven. You'll see what's going on in heaven for a while and then, uh, and then the camera moves back down to earth again and we see what's going on there just back and forth all through the book of Revelation. Well, through chapters 2 and 3, we've been primarily focused on what was going on on earth, those seven churches of Asia. Now we see that the scene is being moved to heaven. And so uh, we're going to catch this as we uh, go on through the verses here. We're going to look at just a couple of things here. The first thing that we find is the summons uh, from John up into heaven. We see that in verse 1, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Now remember, the scene has been on earth, has been considering the churches. And he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show these things which uh, must be hereafter. Now, this is interesting because when John saw that, uh, that scene over in chapter 1, he also said that uh, the voice of this, this person was as the voice of a trumpet. And, uh, and then he talked about the, the sound of rushing waters as well. And so many times the voice of God uh, is likened to the sound of, of mighty waters or is likened to the sound of a trumpet. And so, of course, and maybe this was an angel even that uh, had beckoned him up. But it says that we find here that John looked up and saw a door open into heaven. Wouldn't that be interesting to see? To look up, a door is open into heaven. A door that, uh, that goes from the physical to the spiritual. And he says he saw this door open and, uh, and he heard a voice like a trumpet speaking with him. And we see that the Lord summoned him to see the things that will take place hereafter. Now I want you to go with me. Hold your place in chapter 4. And I want you to go back to chapter 1 and verse 19 with me just for a moment. If you remember, we outlined the entire book of Revelation with chapter 1 verse 19. Which says, write the things which you have seen, uh, the things which are, and the things which shall be Hereafter, Now, the things which, which you have seen are in chapter 1. The things which are, talking about John's present, were the letters to the seven churches of Asia. That's chapters 2 and 3. And then I want you, want you to look in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, uh, Behold, a door was opened in heaven. Uh, the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, and, and which said, Come up hither, and look at this, I will show these things uh, which must be hereafter. So now we enter into the third section of the book of Revelation, which is 
the things which shall be hereafter. So everything that we're looking at from this point forward uh, is looking into the future, looking into the things which shall be. And so, uh, so now we're entering into the, the, uh, the prophetic part of the book of Revelation. And we're looking forward to, uh, to what we're going to be able to see as we get through this. Now let's look at this scene. Let's, let's try to do the best we can to, uh, to imagine what John saw while he was there. We find that immediately John was caught up in the spirit and taken in a vision uh, to the heavenly throne room in verse number two. It says, immediately I was in the spirit. Notice that. I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now, let me make a distinction here. John did not go to heaven. Okay? There wasn't actually a door that opened in heaven, but John was in the spirit. And in the spirit, in in this, uh, whether you want to call it a vision or, or however you want to mention it, in that sense, he did Go to heaven. So remember, he was on the Isle of Patmos. So I don't know what everybody else was seeing while he was seeing all these things. But John was still there on the Isle of Patmos. But in the spirit, he was called up into heaven. Even Paul talked about a man that he knew who uh, who was caught up into the third heaven. He was talking about a spiritual experience, a vision that he received of God. And uh, we see the same thing going on with John here. While he was still physically on earth, in the spirit, he was caught up into the heavenly throne room in uh, in verse 2. Now, can you even imagine what John saw that day? I'm talking about in the spirit, he was able to literally see the very throne room of God. John saw God on the throne that day. Now I want you to think about this. Even Moses was not allowed to look upon God. Now again, keep in mind that this was done in a vision. If John had truly looked upon God in his flesh, it would have been a death sentence. But John in the Spirit was given the, the awesome privilege being able to look in the very throne room of God and not just see a throne, but see the one who sat on that throne. To see God. I can't imagine it. But I can tell you something. One day, I'm going to see that as well. And so are you if you know Christ. Now John does his best to describe this heavenly scene. He says that the one on the throne was like Jasper and Sardius. Now I want you to keep in mind, if you're trying to get from this a physical description of God, that's not what this is about. God is a spirit, okay? And so we're we're not trying to figure out what God looks like. All these things we're going to see here are symbolic. This is a vision. These are symbolic descriptions of God. And so he says that the one sitting upon the throne, though, what he saw was uh, one who was like Jasper and Sardius uh, from verse number 3. Now, if you look there with me, it says, And he that sat was to look upon like a Jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, and sight like unto an emerald. I was supposed to have a PowerPoint tonight uh, and show you what a Sardius and a Jasper stone looks like. So I will try to talk to my memory, who is Nikki Phillips, to remind me, to get that, that PowerPoint uh, next week when we come in, I'll try to show you what these stones 
look like, but it, it helps you because these are actual stones, and when you can see what these stones look like, it helps you to picture all this just a little bit better. Now, what we find is, uh, not only did the one who was on the throne look like Jasper and Asarius stone, but then we see an emerald-like rainbow surround the throne in verse uh, number 3 as well. It says, uh, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And I'll go back and, and describe some of these stones a little bit better uh, later. We see that God's throne was surrounded not only by a rainbow, but it was surrounded by 24 stone, or twenty-four thrones. And on those thrones were 24 elders. Each was dressed in a white robe and wore a golden crown. So just try to get this image in your mind. Verse number 4 says, Round about the throne were four and twenty seats. From now on, I'll just say twenty-four. Were twenty-four seats. And upon the seats, I saw 24 elders sitting, uh, clothed in white raiments, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And so we see, uh, just to paint this picture again, John says that he walks in on the throne. He sees one who looks like a sardius and a jasper stone. He says he sees a, uh, a circular rainbow about the throne. And then also around the throne are 24 different thrones. And on those thrones are 24 elders, each wearing white raiment and a golden crown. Now we're going to see what they do uh, here in just a little bit. But out of the throne we see came lightning, thunder, and voices. I don't know about you, but that would have that would have creeped me out a little bit. I think I would have been. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to see that if you remember when Moses went up upon Mount Sinai, and if you remember when God came and talked to him from Mount Sinai, he had called all the people around, and they had those boundaries around the mountain. Do y'all remember that? And they all had to stand there, and God showed up on that mountain. And what did they see, and what did they hear from that mountaintop? They saw lightning, they heard thunder, and they heard voices. <laughs> and when all that was done, they went to Moses, and they said, Moses, from now on, you talk to God. <laughs> and we'll just listen to whatever you have to say, but do not bring us to a setting like this again. They, they were scared to death. What they saw whenever, uh, when God showed up on that mountain. Well, John says that when he stands before the throne, not, all, not only does he see all these other things that are going on, but out of the throne, I don't know how to even picture this, out of the throne are coming lightnings and thunders and voices from the very throne of God. And uh, if you look in verse 5 with me, uh, we also see that in front of the throne were seven lamps, which represent the perfect spirit of God. In verse Five. It says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We'll come back and describe that just a little bit later. And then the last part of this scene is in verse number 6. And it tells us that laying before all the stuff that we've seen so far, laying before the throne everything, was a sea of crystal-like glass. And surrounding the throne were four living creatures. Now, there's, there's quite a bit going on in this scene, but go ahead and look with me in verse 6. It says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And again, we'll come back to uh, some of these later. Now let me say, I know that this may be, it, it's hard to even imagine 
all the descriptions that we've seen here. We've never seen anything like it. We don't have anything to compare it to. So the best that we can do is just try to imagine something. Or if you look at any uh, artist renderings in the past, maybe you can kind of uh, draw some kind of similarities here. But I want you to understand that that everything that we've looked at here is full of symbolism. So we're going to go through the best as we can. We're going to go through some of that symbolism here. Now let's first, let's go back up to the image of God. If you remember, when he saw God on the throne, he said he was one that looked like Jasper and a Sardius stone. And I want to talk about those two just for a moment. As best as I can figure out, and there are a couple different ways that people go with this, but the Jasper stone here is actually a clear stone. Some think it may actually refer to a diamond. And it's interesting, over in Revelation chapter 21, if you just want to, I've already flipped there, so it should be easy for you. Revelation chapter 21, verse 11, uh, we're just right in the middle of the scene here, but it says, Having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like jasper stone. I want you to notice the next phrase there, clear as crystal. So some people think that the jasper stone, that the, that the uh, translators here, translators jasper, think it may have actually been what we would call a diamond today. And so it says that his appearance was as uh, a jasper stone, and and over Revelation chapter 21, it defines that or describes that as being clear as crystal, while the sardius stone was actually a deep red, like a crimson-colored stone. John does not go on to explain what is meant by this, so I'm not going to attempt to interpret the meaning behind those stones, but I will say that it's interesting That the high priest, if you remember back in the Old Testament, the high priest wore 12 stones on his breastplate. The first stone that he wore was a sardius stone. The last stone in that list was the jasper stone. And so there must have been some heavenly meaning behind this. And maybe one day when we get to heaven, maybe sooner than we think, uh, maybe we'll know, maybe we'll understand a little better what that is. But I just, I want you to catch the fact that on the high priest's garment, the first and last stones are the ones that are mentioned in this scene uh, where John sees the, the one who's sitting upon the throne. Now, let's talk about the rainbow around the throne for just for a second. What's interesting is the rainbow around the throne is seen in a circular form. Now, how many of you have ever seen a rainbow? How many of you ever seen a double rainbow? But they were both like this, right? But what I'm told is, I've never seen it myself, but what I'm told is, if you actually look down on a rainbow from an airplane, that it's not a semicircle, but it's actually a complete circle. Anybody ever seen that? A couple of you have seen, actually seen that from the air, that when you look down, the, the rainbow is actually in a circular form. And that's what we're seeing around the throne. It's not, a, it's not a half circle, but we're seeing a complete circle there, a rainbow that is in a complete circle. Now, we can't overlook where else we see rainbows in the Bible And the first time that we ever see a rainbow appear in the Bible is where? Anybody? We can talk. We can interact in this sermon. After the flood. After the flood. And what did it represent? It represented God's promises. It represented a covenant that God made with man. And so we can't. We can't overlook that as we're talking about this rainbow uh, that we find here in uh, Revelation. Now, one commentator believes that together, uh, this represents eternal life. Uh, The circle could represent eternity and the fact that that it is a circular or it is circular and and has no beginning or end. 
while the green emerald, if you remember this rainbow was the color of a green emerald, uh, it says that that may represent life itself. And so, as I said, one commentator believes that together, this rainbow with the green uh, color stone there might represent eternal life. Yet John Phillips, who is another commentator that I, I like to study after as well, believes that the entire scene, from the stones to the creatures, everything that we're going to look at, that it all depicts the judgment of God. This does seem, let me say this, it does seem to fit in context with the upcoming chapters where we're going to be seeing the judgment of God being poured out upon Israel and others. And so the rainbow is tied in connection with the covenant that God made with man at the flood, if you remember that. The fact that it is a circle could suggest perfection, while the emerald color could suggest that the judgment is concerning the earth itself. We're talking about uh, the eternal God who is pronouncing judgment upon the earth. And when we get into the next several chapters, that's exactly what we're seeing. It's fun to think about an eternal life and a rainbow and all the other stuff. But we have to view chapter 4 in connection with what's going to happen in the, in the upcoming chapters as well. And I think this is about as good as, of a description as I've seen as any. Now these are both interesting to consider, but again... In the Bible, we have no definite interpretation that's provided. And so this is when we say it could be this, it could be that. We'll know when we get to heaven. But for right now, let's just consider the facts that are given to us. Now, as we move on down this scene that we've, uh, that we've painted, uh, we look at the 24 elders that are around the throne. By the way, uh, we are in Revelation chapter 4, and uh, we're basically dealing with the subject matter that's covered in verses 1 through 6 uh, right now. So, Revelation chapter 4. Now, when we look at the 24 elders around the throne, it's interesting to consider that there are how many tribes of Israel? There are 12 tribes of Israel. And when Jesus began his public ministry here on earth, he called out apostles. Anybody remember how many apostles? Twelve. And I did go to school in Arkansas, but 12 plus 12 equals 24. So I think it's very interesting that we have the 12 tribes of Israel, we have the 12 apostles in the New Testament, and then around this this heavenly scene, this heavenly throne, uh, we have uh, 24 elders uh, who were there. Now I'm not saying... I'm not saying these are the the 12 uh, sons of Jacob. I'm not saying that the other are the 12 apostles. I just think that it's interesting. Now, the crown that has been won here, if you look at our verses, the crown that it talks about, you remember the golden crowns they had on their head, was not a kingly crown. So please understand this. When we say that these 24 elders were seated around the throne, we're not talking about 12 king, or 24 kings. Uh, the, the crown that we find here is actually... Uh, a crown that was awarded in Greek games to those who had been victorious. It was the, uh, the victor's crown is really what it was called. And this gives the impression that these 24 elders, whoever they were, had been previously judged and rewarded. That they, they were people who had, who had possibly been faithful to God, who had already been judged and awarded the crowns. And we're going to find out what they do with those crowns here in just a, a little bit. And when it talks about it, it says there's 24 elders. The word elder signifies maturity. So I think it's interesting that these weren't 24 kings that were seated upon thrones with golden crowns. 
These were 24 victors. They were, these were 24 faithful uh, elders, mature people who had reached spiritual maturity, uh, who were seated around the throne. And this may be representative. It, it may represent the, the ones we talk about. It may represent all believers. I don't know. But, uh, but nevertheless, what we have is uh, these people who have won these victors' crown. We're going to see, as I said, what we'll do with that in just a minute. Now, many believe that the elders represent God's people as a whole, which is even more interesting when we see what they do next. Now, let's go, uh, let's move on down through that scene, and let's go through the thunder, lightning, and voices, which are reminiscent of uh, of what we saw uh, in God's appearance on Mount Sinai. Now, these fearful sounds that we find here are sounds of judgment that are repeated several times throughout the book of Revelation. So you're, you're seeing that these thunders, lightnings, and voices are coming f- from the throne of God. But later on, as we get through the, the seals and different things that we're going to go through, you're actually going to hear several different times, it's going to come up over and over again, that there is the sound of thunder and lightnings and, and so, so on. What do you think that represents? What do you think that tells us? I think it shows us God's involvement in the judgment that's going to be taking place a little bit later on. That when you hear those, those thunders going off, when you see the lightning that's mentioned in the scriptures here and the judgment that's taking place around it, I, I think it may signify the fact that, uh, that God is the source of this judgment or the source of whatever is going on at the time. Psalm 9 and verse 7 says, But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared His throne for judgment. Now, as we move on down through the scene that we looked at, we have seven lamps, and these seven lamps in this scene, uh, they may seem a little strange when we find out that they actually represent the seven spirits of God. Now, let's go ahead, if you'll look with me in verse 5 of chapter uh, 4, it says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, voices. But then look at the second half of that verse, it says, And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, wait a second. How many Holy Spirits are there? there? There's one Holy Spirit, but we see seven spirits of God being represented uh, before this throne. So let me try to explain that as best as I can. Seven is a number that's going to show up over and over again throughout the book of Revelation. And it seems to depict perfection or completion. Therefore, when we talk about the seven spirits of God... What we have is a representation of the Holy Spirit's place before the throne. The fact that it it says that it's seven talks about the completion or the fullness of of His own holiness. Uh, It's just talking about the Spirit of God. By the way, now that we have the Father and the Spirit present, we have the Father on the throne, we have the Spirit represented in those lamps before the throne, now we're awaiting the Son's entrance into the scene as well, which happens in chapter 5. Now let's look at the last, uh, last couple of things here from the scene that we, we see in verses 1 through 6. And the next thing we come to is the sea of glass before the throne. And I want you to look there in verse 6. It says, before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. We'll just stop reading there. The sea of glass uh, has, has many interpretations of what this is, what it represents. But remember that the tabernacle and the temple were figures of the true throne room in heaven. Actually, if you read over in the, the book of Hebrews chapter 8 and 9, it talks about the fact that the tabernacle and the temple were only figures of the true tabernacle or temple in heaven, the true throne room in heaven. And just before you entered the sanctuary, 
uh, there was a basin of water. Some of you have gone through different studies on the temples, different studies on the tabernacle. Uh, basically, the temple was a building that was set aside as the, uh, it was representing the presence of God here on earth. There were two rooms in that building. The first room that you came into was called the holy place. And it had a couple of things in there. In that holy place, and, and we'll just picture the sanctuary as being, uh, as being the tabernacle, okay? So when you come through the, the, the first curtain, you enter into the holy place. And there would have been a menorah on one side. There would have been a table of showbread on the other side. There would have been an altar somewhere around here. Uh, a square altar that was say, the altar of incense. And then behind a curtain, which we don't have, but if you went to the next room, that would have been the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Raise your hand if you ever heard of the Ark of the Covenant. Which represented, on the top of that Ark, was called the Mercy Seat, representing God's throne here on earth. Now Hebrews, as I said, tells us that these are all pictures of the true sanctuary in heaven. That's just a model. It's just, anybody ever seen a, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but I'm sure you've seen here or there, you go in and there's a a model of what uh, we're planning to build. You know, like uh, this is the future of this company and this is the, the scale model for what we have here. What it's saying is that tabernacle or that temple that was built were only figures. They were only models of the true throne room in heaven. Now, I talked about the sanctuary, the holy place, the holy of holies. But when you went back out that door, the first thing you came to was a huge bowl of water. It was called the basin. It was filled with water. is what they would cleanse, the priests would cleanse themselves with before they came in. And what's interesting is as we set ourselves in this vision, of this temple of God, before the throne, what do you see? You see a sea of glass, of crystal-like glass. Uh, sitting before the throne. And so I just think it's interesting that we find a similar scene here. Uh, Instead of a basin of water, we have a sea of glass before the throne. And then the last part of the scene that we find uh, in verses 1 through 6 are the four living creatures. If you look there at the end of verse 6, it says, And in the midst of the throne, around about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. I don't even want to know what that looks like. Uh, they got eyes. I, I mean, I was always told, told that mom had eyes in the back of her head. This thing did. <laughs> there were eyes in the front. There were eyes in the back. There were eyes everywhere. But I think what it, it talks about is the, uh, you know, the fact that, that everything's being seen. Now, these are, str- are truly strange creatures, but they also seem to be representative. Notice that each of these four creatures have four faces. There's the face of a lion, there's the face of a calf, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle, which I think represents all of creation. Every, every aspect of creation or life is being represented by, these, uh, by these, these creatures that are mentioned here. And I want you to think about uh, the fact that it mentions a lion, which would be like wild beast. It mentions a calf, which would be domestic animals. It mentions a man, uh, which would cover, of course, mankind, humanity, and then also an eagle, uh, which would represent like the fowl. And always in in the context of the Bible, fowl and fish are mentioned together. So we have here just kind of a representation of all creation. And we're going to see what these creatures do in in just a little bit. But just keep in mind that that we have a representation here of, of creation. Now, I want to bring one more thing into the scene here, because I think this is also very interesting. I always thought it was interesting. When you go back to that scene of the tabernacle, 
and the camps of Israel around the tabernacle. We don't find this in Scripture. And so I'm just, I'm just presenting some information to you here. But through tradition, there were four banners. We know that each of those camps, those major camps around the tabernacle, they each had banners or flags. And there was some kind of image on those flags. And by Jewish tradition, what we have passed down to us is that on those flags, on one was a lion, on another was an ox or a, a calf, Another had um, uh, the face of a man, and then the fourth, the, uh, the image of an eagle. Isn't that interesting? Right there around the tabernacle, we have all these. By the way, when you move, we know that all this is pictorial Christ. When you move into the New Testament, uh, Christ is presented four different ways in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Matthew, he's represented as the king or the lion of Judah. In the book of Mark, he's represented as the servant, which could be a pictorial of an ox. And then you have, uh, in the book of Luke, he's presented as the son of man, his humanity. And then in the book of John, he's represented as uh, his deity, which uh, is often signified by an eagle uh, in, in ancient cultures. And so we have, in the Gospels, we even have, uh, we have a lion, we have a, an ox or a servant, we have a man, and then we have, of course, the, the eagle or the representation of God. And now we move on to the book of Revelation, and in these creatures we see four different faces, the face of a lion, the face of an ox or a calf, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. I just think it's interesting to notice uh, all the symbolism there. Now, let's move on to the last thing here, and that is the speech in verses 7 through 11. Now, we set this scene. Let's see what they were doing in this scene as we read there. In verse 7 it says, And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy... Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's go back through this. After describing how these creatures looked, John further told of their worship. And to put it in our language, this is what, and it appears to be set on a loop. Like this just played over and over and over before John. But to put it in our language, he says that they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Over and over and over, these four living creatures, these beasts, are saying over and over again, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when they finish their chorus, then the elders chip in. And so as we move on down, we see that when the, when the living creatures finish their part of the verse, the elders throw their crowns before the throne and say in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Now I want you to think about, um, some of you have been in church for quite a while. When we were kids, we had a song called, Hallelujah. Y'all remember singing that song? And I, 
Man, I, I did not like that song. It was, it was next to Father Abraham. Anything where I got to stand up and move around, I don't like doing that. In this song, half of the congregation would stand up and they would sing, Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. And then the next side would sing, Praise ye the Lord. Okay. And it just went on and on and on and on and until the song leader got tired of it. So one side would sing it, and sometimes they'd switch it up, and they'd change around. You sing it, and then they would sing it. What, what's happening in this scene seems to be, to me, like that song. That these creatures are singing over and over again the same verse. And when they're, when they're done with their verse, the 24 elders pitch in. And they say their part. And when they're done, it loops right back over to, uh, to the creatures and then back and forth. So that all the time, over and over, a continual praise and worship is being given to God in heaven. John said he saw this. It was set on a loop. They kept on saying it over and over and over and over again. Now I want us to go back to that scene where we talked about those 24 elders. And we decided these weren't 24 kings with kingly crowns on their heads. These were 24 victors. These were 24 elders representing the faithful in Christ who received crowns, award crowns. And I want you to notice what they did over and over again. When the, when the creatures would finish singing what they were singing, they would take their crowns and do what? They would cast it before the one who was seated on the throne. And they would say, you are worthy. You are are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And they just did this over and over and over. And I think the whole scene is just pictorial, again, of the continuous worship and praise that's being given to our God in heaven. Now, I'd always been told when I was growing up, you know, I'd always ask, what are we going to do in heaven? (laughs) What? I mean, you know, like forever, you're up there. I mean, after the first trillion years, what are we doing after that? You know, and so I'm wondering what the schedule is in heaven. Here's the schedule in heaven. We keep on singing. We keep on praising and we keep on worshiping the God who is worthy. Over and over and over. Now, there may be other things we do in heaven. I'm not saying that. I think we're all going to have positions. I think there's going to be different roles that we play. But it's going to be a time of continuous relationship, continuous fellowship, communion, and worship of God. And I think that these living creatures and I think that these 24 elders represent that continual worship that's going to be going on there. One day we're all going to get to join in with that choir. We're all going to join in in that song and sing, Worthy is uh, the Lamb. Worthy is God. I want you to notice that there is no rebellion in this scene. Nobody's rolling their eyes and saying, we have to do this verse again. You know, <laughs> nobody's decided, I'm not singing today. You know, there's no rebellion. The, the totality of heaven is in submissive awe to the majesty of God. You may say, but that's going to get boring after a while. It might here. It won't there. You know, I find this interesting. When we see what is said there, I'm going to read this one more time. Verses 10 and 11, last time. It says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their uh, crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For look at this. Thou hast created all things, 
And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Here on earth, man looks at God and says, Why have you made me this way? In heaven, man bows before God and says, We are because you created us. Here we have the audacity to stand before God and question Him. In heaven, you will bow before the King of Kings. You will bow before the Lord of Lords and you will recognize His position of authority and kingship over your life. They don't stop singing these phrases and songs to Him. Again, I know that tonight's lesson, tonight's message was a little different than usual. We're just looking at facts, just looking at data tonight. This sets the scene for the beautiful, beautiful picture that we're going to see of Jesus next week in Revelation chapter 5. I hope you'll be there for it. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot different than what we've seen tonight. Uh, we're going to see Jesus. We're going to look at what, uh, what, what comes about through chapter 5. Beautiful picture of our redemption before Him. But we just need to see what the throne looks like throne would look like first. 